Good morning, everyone. Peace be with you. Thank you. Welcome to Sojourn. Um, my name is Dodds. I'm one of the pastors here. And like Marshall said, for the past month, we have spent time in the book of Psalms. Uh, and we have taken time to consider our emotional lives in light of the resurrection of Jesus. The Psalms are the hymns and prayers of God's people. They are prayers inspired by God for the purposes of being sung and spoken to him in every circumstance and season of life. They divinely awaken us to what we're feeling, what we're thinking, and they give us a lens through which to interpret the full spectrum of our experiences in the world. The Psalms shaped the emotional life of Jesus. The Psalms describe the emotional life of Jesus. And so far in our series, we've looked at fear in Psalm 56, guilt in Psalm 51, anger in Psalm 79, and shame in Psalm 69. And today, as we bring the series to a close, we turn to Psalm 88 to talk about depression. And once again, we're going to be looking at the implications of the resurrection in light of our struggle with depression. In one of the greatest works of Italian literature, the Divine Comedy, the author Dante on his journey through hell and purgatory says this, midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself within a dark wood where the straightforward path had been lost to me. Ah, how hard a thing it is to tell what a wild and rough and stubborn wood this was. I did not die and yet lost life's breath. Depression feels like an eternal sadness accompanied by an abiding helplessness that renders us unable to believe that things will get better. Perhaps when we're emotionally healthy, we can think of both very difficult and very good things that are going on in our lives, but when, when we experience depression, it's so hard to see anything good. We become sealed off from ourselves, from other people, from the rest of the world. Really, depression is cold, it's private, it's lonely, it's exhausting and isolating, and it's painful. But it's not just pain, it, it feels like meaningless pain. Abraham Lincoln, who was afflicted with regular bouts of depression, once said, this is all I want in life, for this pain to seem purposeful. I am now the most miserable man living. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better, it appears to me. Depression is suffering that simply can't be reduced to one universal cause. It involves a complete absence an absence of affect, of feeling, of response, of interest. And the most consistent feeling in depression is pain, but for all intents and purposes, when we're in depression, we feel like the walking dead. Now in depression, we often think that if our circumstances were better, we would be better too. But our depression has a logic all its own. Because in depression, we can't distinguish between a loving embrace, the death of a close friend, or the news that someone has just been engaged. What's good, what's awful, what's wonderful can all 
start to feel the same. Now for some of us, depression can feel like complete darkness, as though all the lights in the room have just been turned off. For others, it can feel as though life becomes a flat, gray, and cold landscape, like a perpetual cold and rainy day. But either way, it makes seeing, hearing, thinking, and feeling impossible. This emotion does not respond to practical advice, how-tos, or positive thinking, because none of those things have the ability to touch the issues of hope, meaning, worth, or all of the why is this happening to me that depression raises. Practical advice and step-by-step processes shout from the top of the abyss, but they do not go down into it. Such weak attendants do not follow Dante into the deep, dark wood, and they don't help us either. What we need must go deeper. Now, the Psalter contains many psalms of suffering in which the author is in deep depression, despair, and distress. And in every single one of those psalms, there is a resolve or a relief of some kind in light of God's character, His goodness, His promises, His strength, His truth, except for two. Two psalms in the entire Psalter, Psalm 39 and Psalm 88, have no resolution in hope. The authors descend into the chasm, but they do not resurface. Darkness, depression, and despair are the themes of Psalm 88. Look again at the last line, verse 18. My companions have become darkness. That's how the prayer concludes. That's how the prayer ends. We end in the dark. The psalmist says, God, darkness is my only friend. In fact, darkness has been a more faithful friend and companion than you. What is a prayer like this doing in the Bible? A prayer that doesn't resolve in hope but ends in darkness. A prayer that's kind of an attack. I believe it's going to teach us a number of things. So the author of this psalm is a man named Heman, not He-Man, just to be clear. Author is named Heman. And while we don't know the circumstances that he was facing, he does tell us that there are two kinds of darkness that are going on for him. There's the despair and darkness outside of him in the circumstances and what's going on in his life. And there's the despair and darkness inside of him in his soul. And for all that he can see and all that he's experiencing, his understanding is he's not just facing trouble, he's facing death. He's facing the end of his life. That's what Sheol, the pit, the grave, Abaddon, those are all places that the dead go to be forgotten. But he also says this, my soul is full of troubles. I have no strength. I'm like a dead man lying in a grave. I'm overwhelmed, I'm pressed down, I'm drowning. I'm helpless, I'm trapped. It's so bad that my friends look at me like I'm contaminated. They've left me. 
I'm all alone. Now, in the book of Proverbs, which is a book in the Old Testament that's just packed with wisdom, it says that even if you have failing health and everything in your life is going wrong, if you have a strong soul and a sense of God's presence, you can endure anything. You can make it. But conversely, so it says, if your soul is crushed, it doesn't matter if everything in your life is going well. No one can bear living with a crushed soul. And we know this to be true, don't we? That's what's going on with Heman in this psalm. It's not just that he feels like God has left him. He knows that God is gone. In his mind, God has really gone. He believes that God is angry with him, that he's been rejected, that he's been abandoned, that he has been forgotten. And even though he's reaching out to God and asking to be saved, he still ends his prayer certain that God is nowhere to be found. Now, what does this teach us? For one, I think it teaches us that even if we are Christians, even as Christians, we can experience deep depression that might not go away. You see, Heman was, Heman was a Levite. He was the grandson of a very famous Israelite priest named Samuel. He was a musician, he was a singer, he was a prophet in Solomon's time, and King David appointed him and two other men to lead God's people into God's presence in worship. Heman was a worship leader, a priest worship leader. In other words, Heman was a man among men. He was a God-fearing, God-loving, God-glorifying priest, and yet he still experienced this kind of darkness. The Bible is giving us in this a true picture of what can happen to us and in us even if we're following Jesus. The Bible is being very honest with us here, very realistic with us here. It's not trying to convince us that if we give God our faith, he gives us a pain-free life. If you live long enough, the psalm is saying, you will see times of suffering like these. You can do everything right. You can do all the right things. You can pray all the right prayers. You can believe all the right theology, and the darkness may not lift. And at the same time, that that's really hard to hear, and even right in this moment, really hard to say, I think it's also an astounding mercy to us because the Bible is not about giving us lofty, unmet expectations. It sets our expectation where it, will, where it should be, even as we follow Christ, even as we follow Christ as a family, individually, We are going to experience suffering and darkness in this world, and it could look like this. Perhaps nothing else in life reminds us so clearly that we are not God and that this earth is not heaven like an indescribable despair that defies cause and has no immediate cure, maybe no cure at all. Heman knows that this depression could last for a while. For him, it has lasted for a while. He says, afflicted and close to death from my youth up, 
I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Now, is he exaggerating? Probably. He's known what it's meant to love God. He's known what it's meant to lead the throng in the procession into the synagogue to praise God. But that does give us a little bit of look into depression and despair that in depression and despair, it is so hard to see beyond the moment. In despair and depression, it feels like that's all there is. That's all there's been, and that's all there ever will be. We do, and we should acknowledge this, we do have something in us that says, if I'm with God and I do the right things, then despair and depression either won't ever come, or if it does, it won't last very long. And the Bible just says that that's not true. We are not promised that. Depression and despair could visit for a day, a weekend, a year, or years. It could come when things are going terribly. It can come when things are going wonderfully. But times of depression are also the best times to learn about the grace of God because we will learn a little bit about God's grace during ease and contentment. But we will learn a wealth of knowledge about his grace during the darkest times of our lives. Isn't that our experience? Haven't we grown more under duress? Haven't we grown stronger under being pressed? Haven't we grown even more hopeful amidst difficulty? But it does mean also that we need to learn. We have a good teacher. This is wonderful. We need to learn what it looks like and what it means to suffer well, and that is something that Psalm 88 does teach us. Depression and darkness can be grieved in a God-word direction. Heman describes all of his fears. He brings all of his fears to the Lord. He uses all the metaphors. He uses all the word pictures. He brings his anger. He brings his confusion. He brings the entirety of his soul darkness and his circumstantial darkness, and he floods it out before God. But laced in with those words are these words that express his deep dependence. Look at verse one. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Verse nine. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you, to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. These are the hope-filled lines in this psalm. God, you are the one who saves me. You are my God. Morning, noon, and night, I hold out my open hands to you. I'm in need. I cry to you. My prayers reach you. See, Heman is suffering in a Godward direction. His suffering is not taking him away from God. His suffering is driving him towards God. He's angry. He's even accusatory and nearly insulting. Look at verses 10 through 12. They're at least insulting, if not blasphemous. But 
He is suffering to God. He is suffering towards God. And that, according to the book of Job, is honoring to God. Heman stays with God even though he's not getting the relief that he's asking for, which shows us this. He's truly in for God and not himself. If we're honest, we have all come to God in a state of need. Our lives are a mess. Our soul has an emptiness. We've made a horrible error. We can't find peace. We fall into addiction. We want to be free. We just feel lost and we need a path. And so we do come to God sometimes in a quid pro quo state. God, I will do this if you will do this. And we can initially come in that state and sometimes we can stay in that state. But if we stay in the state of quid pro quo, I do this and God you do that in response, we will never mature. We will never grow. If we only stay with God as long as he comes through for us, then we know that we're using him for our ends and that is not the way that you love someone or receive their love. If we stay in that state, we'll end up going up and down depending upon how things are going and we will be tempted to turn away from God every time something bad happens. Now, when we go through darkness and despair, depression and disorientation, and we don't feel that God is there, but we hold the line like Heman does here. If we do that, if we join Heman in saying, Lord, I feel helpless, as though you've left me, you don't hear me, but you are my God. You are God, and I am not. If we can say, in my despair, in my depression, in my darkness, I am going to come to the Sunday gathering because I know that you're there. I'm going to gather with your people and perish because I know that you were there. I'm going to sing. I'm going to cry. I'm going to pray. I'm going to confess. I'm going to be forgiven. I'm going to take communion. I am going to suffer towards you with your people. If we do that, I can guarantee you that we will become a people of endurance, depth, empathy, kindness, patience, slow to anger, long-suffering, steadfast people who trust God. This psalm teaches us that this God that we're suffering towards is a God of the, he is the God of the Bible and he is the God of the desperate. He is the God of the depressed, of the despairing, of the disoriented. Derek Kidner, who is a, a psalm commentator and a warden of the Tyndale House, said this. this is speaking specifically about Psalm 88. The very presence of this prayer in Scripture is witness to God's understanding. God knows how people speak when they are desperate. God has placed his word here. He's placed this psalm here. He identifies himself as the God of a person who prays like this. 
Our God is understanding. He is compassionate. He is gracious. Have you, have you ever sat, have you ever had a really difficult conversation with someone and and maybe they've hurt you, so you're, you're, coming, you're coming more of an, like an offensive way. You're attacking. This is what you've done to me. This is what you've put me through. Have you ever been in a, in a difficult conversation like that, and the other person is not defending themselves? They're not blame-shifting. They're not reviling in return. They're listening. They're keeping eye contact maybe even sympathizing with your pain. How much greater is the understanding of this God who listens to Heman, who comes to him just like that? He says, I am the God of this man who prays like this. God says, I'm the God of people who don't get it right, who don't do the right thing, who don't say the right thing. I'm a God of grace. But Heman is sure, as we know from the ending of this prayer, Heman is sure that God is not there. You have left me. You've sent me down to the pit. This despair is not temporary. It's permanent for me. It's not, the pain isn't subjective. It's objective. You have clearly cut me off. How do we know, how do we know that Heman is wrong? Because Jesus, another priest, a prophet, a worshiper, was the most God-fearing, God-loving, God-glorifying man that ever lived. He was actually, he was actually God. He was God the Son. And when he went to the cross, he suffered more than anyone did. You know, on the eve of his arrest, Jesus took his disciples to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knew that he was going to the cross. He knew that he was going to suffer more than anyone had ever suffered. And he said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Does that sound familiar? Psalm 88 is Jesus' prayer in the garden. Psalm 88 is Jesus' prayer on the cross. Psalm 88 is Jesus' prayer when he's being beaten and mocked and spit at and delivered unrecognizable. This is his prayer. This psalm amplifies what it meant for Jesus to take up our sufferings and despair. It shows what it meant for him to be forsaken by God, by man. He knew that the only way that we would be freed from the dark is if he, Jesus, the eternal word of God, was thrown into the darkness himself. And knowing that God is the light, knowing that God is the Lord of light is really no help to me when I'm groping around in the dark alone. Knowing that God is the word is really no help to me when I can barely hear his voice and I feel like that man lying in the open grave with darkness as my only friend. So if God is going to be the Lord of lords, he has to be the Lord of light and dark. 
He has to be the Lord of life and death. If he's going to rescue us from the darkness, from the silence, then he has to enter into it. And that's why Paul said to the Colossians, what Paul said to the Colossians is so important. Colossians 1, 15 and 18. He says to them that Jesus is the firstborn of creation, but he also says that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. Why? So that in all things he might be preeminent. He might be first place in everything. Not just life, but in death as well. Creation can only be remade if God's voice breaks out from the silence and death and darkness. When God the Son entered the grave to grab the keys of death and Hades, of Sheol and Abaddon, of the pit and the grave, he didn't just become the Lord of life, he became the Lord of death. He became the Lord of the darkness. When Jesus went silent, he joined the ranks of those who go down to the pit. He was cut off from the hand of the Father. It was his soul that was discarded. But the word died in the darkness. The word died in silence for this very purpose so as to become the Lord of the darkness and the silence. Jesus, the light of the world, went dark in death. When Jesus' eyes grew dim and they closed and he breathed his last, He fell into the abyss. He went under the waves. The Father's face turned away from him. But the Son of God, the Son of God cannot claim to be the Lord of Sheol, the Lord of death, without turning death upside down. Because death cannot hold him. He is the Lord of light. He is too big. Silence cannot mute the eternal word. He is too loud. Three days in the tomb, just a pause. And on the third day, Jesus explodes from the tomb with much to say, dispelling fears, visiting friends, deploying his disciples. He has much to say the eternal word that went silent. Through tasting death and submitting to that silence, he twists death inside out and he makes death a gate to new life. Death ceases to be the end and it becomes the new beginning. And because he goes to Sheol as the word of God, he sings praises in the tomb. He sings praises in the dark. Do you work wonders for the dead? Yes. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave because of Jesus? Yes. Is your faithfulness declared in Abaddon? Yes. Resurrection's dawn answers all of human's questions and ours with a resounding yes. And because of the resurrection, despair, our depression, the grave, those are now no longer places of silence. Just as it was in the beginning, the living word has spoken in the darkness again. A new creation has come. 
His wonders are proclaimed in the tomb. The dead do praise him. His faithfulness is now just not known in the light, but in the dark, not just in our joy, but in our despair. The voice of God in the resurrection thunders all the way down, all the way down Dante's Inferno, all the way to the bottom. And death and depression join the chorus because they have no choice but to respond glory. Because Jesus Christ took the penalty of sin and won the favor of God, the promise that God makes to you and to me is that he will never abandon us. When Jesus was on the cross and darkness fell over all the land and darkness fell over him, he didn't get off the cross, he stayed on the cross in the dark. He didn't abandon us in the moment of his greatest darkness, so we can know that in the moments of our greatest darkness, he will stay with us too, through it all. And if he transformed the place of death to a place of life, he can transform our despair to joy. Two, two final things. We may not know the reason for our suffering and depression. We may not know. In the book of Job, even though it was Satan who in, instigated his suffering and God who allowed it, he was never told why he suffered. The only thing that God revealed to Job was that he was God and Job was not. And miraculously, Miraculously, that satisfies all of Job's why questions. Scripture does not teach us how to figure out the reasons for our suffering. It doesn't give us knowledge so that we will be intellectual masters of our circumstances. Scripture gives us knowledge and wisdom so that we would know to trust God. Somehow, turning to God, suffering in that Godward direction, trusting him with the mysteries of our depression and despair, that is the answer to our depression and despair. All suffering is intended to train us to fix our eyes on the one true God. In our depression, it is time to answer the most important questions of all, whom do I trust? Whom will I worship? And finally, to close, I found this quote by uh, Michael Wilcock just helpful. Um, I hope you do too. This darkness can happen to a believer, but it doesn't mean you're lost. This darkness can happen to someone who doesn't deserve it. After all, it happened to Jesus, who also didn't deserve it but it doesn't mean you've strayed. This darkness can happen at any time as long as this world lasts because only in the new world will such things be done away with. This darkness can happen without you knowing why. But there are answers. There is a purpose. And eventually, you will know it.
Sojourn, Jesus is with us. We can trust him. Let's pray. Holy and gracious Father, truly there are times where we feel exactly the way that Heman is describing. We feel left behind. Our soul is crushed. Our tears run on end. They become our only food. Lord, would you have mercy on us by the riches of your grace and the great promises of your word. Would you sustain us by the power of your spirit? Would you make us men and women who are not surprised by darkness and and suffering? Would you make us the men and women who endure? Would you make us men and women who are patient and kind and self-controlled and gentle? And would you, Lord, as strange as it sounds, would you use all in your means to do just that, even if it's depression and despair? Would you use it to make us faithful men and women who don't leave you when it gets hard. Because you didn't leave us when it got hard. You stayed with us. You still do. Make us men and women who suffer in a Godward direction. Men and women who trust you in the midst of our dark wood. Remind us of Christ continuously, your son who braved the great darkness and silence for us, who braved Sheol in the pit. We know that he braves every bit of darkness in us and with us even now. Teach our souls to wait for you. Teach our hearts to hope in you. We are very needy people. You are very generous. We are grateful. Help us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen.